Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Off-season episode number two. Coming in, not that hot. Kind of warm. Lukewarm. Off-season episode number two. Rolling into your brains as the play-in tournament gets kicking today. So that's kind of cool, I suppose. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today. It's Tuesday, April the 14th. We're into our officially the second day of the NBA fantasy offseason. Cleveland is in Brooklyn, and the Clippers are in Minnesota to start the play-in tournament. And we are in the midst of our lessons learned part of the calendar. Yesterday, of course, we discussed third-round reversal. I hope you guys were all on board with that one. Today, we will have another lesson learned. We're also going to talk a little bit about the two play-in games coming up tonight. And we will start that here in just one moment. First, I'm Dan Vespers. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, everybody. Still a decent chunk of you actually listening to these shows, even though it's technically the fantasy offseason. That makes me uh, a, a happy man. Hopefully, that'll continue throughout the offseason. Love to, guys, love to have you guys with us from now until uh, draft season next time around. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. The season just ended. You're like, I don't want I don't want to put any more basketball in my brain. But I I I hope that you'll stick with us here. And maybe this show you're listening, you're like, oh, I accidentally listened to the first minute. And then maybe I can convince you to keep doing that every day through the offseason. That's a big deal for us. Uh you know, just numbers wise, it's important. But also we've got fantasy things to talk about. First, the play in. Brooklyn favored by eight to nine points, depending on where you're looking at home. This is, of course, the 7-8 matchup in the Eastern Conference. If Cleveland loses, which everybody assumes they will, they'll take on the winner of Atlanta and Charlotte. Cleveland figures have a, I would assume, a slightly better chance in that ball game, but we'll see how this thing goes. Brooklyn, a little bit of a paper tiger at certain points, but Cleveland has also been in such a tailspin that it would be a really big surprise to see the Nets lose this ball game with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving both playing. Yeah, they just shouldn't. Other game uh, should be more competitive. Minnesota's favored by two and a half over the Clippers. We've seen that one bounce between two and a half and three and a half. Um, you know, there's a Pat Beverly factor that goes on here on the Minnesota side, but there's also just a, we haven't, we've kind of forgotten that the Clippers are actually slightly better than their record would indicate because they were missing their two best players basically the entire season and still managed to slip in there just four games back of the Wolves. And now, Clippers won their last five games in a row. So that's something. And then also got Paul George back here down the stretch. Not really that much of a surprise that they got better when their second best player came back. There's also a sort of an experience thing going on here where on the Wolves side, Beverly is sort of the only guy that's had any legitimate playoff experience. The other guys have had smatterings. I think there was, what, one, is there a, was like game 83? Am I remembering that right for the Wolves a couple of years back? I don't remember how that shook out. I think they won it and then they got plastered. But I like the Clippers, actually, in this game. I think they prevail. I think I, I mean, I know they're getting three points and that's your safe play, but I think I might go Clippers money line on this one, considering it. Anyway, we'll talk about all these games as they come up during the shows. And then on Friday's show, 
where the play-ins will be finishing up. We'll talk series prices as well. Maybe we'll have a little bit more clarity on when Stephen, or Stephen, Steph Curry, who's Stephen? Stephen Curry is like the Cliff Paul iteration. Stephen Curry is uh, the guy that helps you set up your, your kid's custodial account at the bank. Steph Curry is the one who may or may not come back for the beginning of their series. And then Luka Doncic. Lost in the in the hullabaloo of the last day of fantasy basketball, Luka Doncic uh, blew out a calf, and he's out indefinitely. He may not play in the postseason. After Dallas had this wonderful regular season, he gets hurt in a fairly meaningless last regular season. I know the Mavericks wanted to win it so they could lock up the home court. Well, no, you know, they didn't even matter. They maybe could have caught the Warriors, I guess, if they wanted the Nuggets instead of the Jazz in the first round, but it really was a fairly meaningless game by all accounts. And it could detonate everything the Mavs worked so hard for. So that sucks. And again, we'll talk about all that stuff as this week rumbles along. But that's your play-in stuff for tonight. As far as totals go, it's a little weird. My my inclination, at least in seasons past, has always been to eyeball the under in games like this where there's going to be a ton of pressure, basically like a Game 7 all wrapped up into one. But all of these teams do have another chance if they lose. The game's happening tonight. These are all the win one out of two teams going. So it's not quite so simple as playoff, not play in, playoff series go, you can tend to watch the games and see the adjustments that teams are trying to make, and scores do have a tendency to taper as the series goes along. Teams have a couple of offensive things they can try. There's a couple of uh, different looks, but as the series goes on, a defense is going to start to learn everything an offense is trying to do. So typically, games get lower scoring as you go in a series. Not always, not always, and then there's fluctuations where a team makes a big adjustment and you see that little uptick, but for a play-in tournament, we just don't have much data on it. I mean, we're talking about just, like, this is in its infancy, the even the existence of this tournament. So take that with a grain of salt. Uh, I, I have no real feelings on the totals for these games, but of the two spreads, I think I would... I don't know, I really feel like I need to get into that. Uh, Clippers on the money line is kind of an interesting underdog. And I don't know. My only question with the Clippers is, are they a trendy underdog or are they just an underdog? And that can shape my decision on things. But for right now, leaning towards just an underdog. And in that instance, you know, I do kind of like it. I do kind of like it. Okay. Let's get into the off-season stuff, because, uh, oh, you know, before we even get into that, I put out a poll yesterday, as I promised I would, because, you know, we did this long talk on third-round reversal on Monday's show, and I said, I think this is a year where more than ever, the teams at the top of a draft had a colossal advantage, and more so in Roto than in head-to-head, because in head-to-head, you can build your team, you can, uh, you can punt, so part of the Jokic appeal, now obviously he's still the best of the best of the best of the best, you can punt and it takes a little bit of that disadvantage away. You know, the Jokic being so good in almost every single category, other than three-pointers where he's only like 
average, just obliterating everyone and everything else. If you end up with someone behind him, if you ended up with, I don't know, Jason Tatum in the middle of the draft, you could you could punt field goal percent if you wanted to. You don't have to. Tatum's actually pretty good at stuff across the board also. You could have punt blocks if you really wanted to. Although, again, for his spot on the floor, he was fine in that. Maybe that wasn't the best example. And Dame was hurt this year. He's always a guy you could look at punting something. If you had Steph, you could consider punting blocks or rebounds or something like that. So there's other options where you can make up some of the ground lost to Jokic in a head-to-head punt format. In Roto, having Jokic was basically a guarantee of a top three finish. I think I said on yesterday's show, you could just fart out a lineup and you'd be top three with Jokic. And the poll agreed. I didn't know how this this was going to go, but I put a poll out on Twitter that asking people who played in Roto Snake Draft Leagues, what pick did the winning team have? And I broke it down. This was on purpose. The choices were pick number one, which was Jokic, two through five, six through nine, 10 through 12. Which, you know, you know, it isn't perfect because I had to split 11 picks into three different slots. So two, three, four, five was the next chunk. Six, seven, eight, nine, groups of four, and then the last three. Not surprisingly, the last three was lower than the other ones. But based on just a per-pick number, it actually showed that everyone besides Jokic had almost the exact same probability of winning. Except for Jokic. So the breakdown was, if you had pick 2 through 12, this is pretty crazy actually, you had a 57% chance of winning your Roto League. 2 through 12, 11 of the 12 picks gave you a little bit more than half a chance of winning. All of those teams combined. And if you got Jokic, those teams won 43% of Roto Leagues. That is crazy. And I know people replied, and they were like, oh, I had picked six, and I won, or I had picked nine, and I won. I get it. You're out there. There are more than 400 votes on this thing, too. So it's not a tiny, it's not a huge sample size, but it's not tiny. But basically, what we're seeing here is that if you had any other pick, besides pick one, you had about a 5% chance of winning your league. Which sucks, because normally, if you divide 100 by 12, everybody should have a higher number, a little over eight. We can do this pretty quickly because, you know, our drought, our drafts have 12 picks. We've done all this math many times. The presence of Nikola Jokic in that top slot sapped three and change percentage points chance of winning from every other spot in your draft. That's crazy. Almost four, I guess, based on the 43% thing. That is so wild, and I get it. Third-round reversal probably isn't going to fix all of that, but it's going to fix a little bit of it. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, 
You can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. I don't think we'd get enough votes if I ran a poll that was like, hey, what about those of you who had a Roto Snake Draft with third round reversal? Who won? My guess would be that it would still be Jokic in a runaway. My guess is that it would still be the person with the number one pick in a runaway, but it might not be 43% first pick and then 21, 22, and 14 were the, the results on the other three slots. It would probably be more like 39% Jokic. So at least you're putting a couple of points back into the pool for everyone else. Because again, like we talked about on yesterday's show, getting... You know, guys that went at the beginning of round three in drafts were a lot better than the guys who went at the end. If you had, you know, I don't want to go through yesterday's show again here because I want to get into lesson number two, but that's a big difference of ending up with LaMelo Ball, who by totals, by the way, this year was number eight because he was pretty damn durable, or ending up with like C.J. McCollum or someone who was going towards the end of round three or Shea Gilgis-Alexander. These are guys that were in the 50s and 60s. That moves you a hell of a lot closer to someone who ended up with Nikola Jokic, who, as things currently sit right now, we've talked about it before, that guy with Jokic might have ended up with LaMelo Ball too. Or Devin Booker, who we talked about already. Or Rudy Gobert, or whatever it is. These guys at the end of the second round, beginning of the third, these are powerhouses. They just keep expanding their advantage. Anyway, that was yesterday's. That was yesterday's. It's time to turn the page over to today. So I kicked around uh, a lot of different possible um, second lessons. And I wanted to start with the kind of I guess a little bit more league setting style stuff here at the beginning of our lessons learned. And maybe this is a way to lose a bunch of listeners going into the off season or spending 11 minutes talking about the thing you talked about on yesterday's show. That's another way to do it. The league settings are really critical. And I don't know. I mean, we've talked about this on the show before. It might've even been one of our lessons learned from last year, but the finish time, of your head-to-head league is really a monster piece of the puzzle. And and a number of you actually uh, replied to my question from earlier this week on Twitter. Again, that's at Dan Vespers, asking what your biggest lesson learned were what, with this one, which was already on my list of things to talk about. I just was planning on talking about it a little bit later. But then when a lot of you guys said it, I thought, all right, we'll bump it up on the list. And that's basically... You can't have a head-to-head league going to the end of the regular season. You just can't. Half the league sat on Sunday. A quarter of the league sat for most of that last week. That's not how your league should be determined. There's like the one out of every 20 of you 
that comes back and says, I love chaos. And I can't imagine that person is playing in a league with more than like 20 to $30 on the line. Because if you're buying, and I feel like you can say this for almost everyone who's not an exorbitantly wealthy person also playing fantasy basketball. Let's just assume that most of us are kind of in the same general bucket where like money is relevant. It, it is important in our lives. And if someone was like, here's a hundred dollars, you'd be like, Oh, cool. And if someone was like, here's a thousand dollars, you'd be like, Oh, really cool. And if someone handed you like $5,000, you'd be pretty elated about it. Whereas I'm going to go ahead and assume that the people that don't need five grand, you don't have to listen to this. You can end your damn head-to-head season whenever you want because it's not important to you. To the rest of us, that, that prize money is important. And I think a lot of it comes down to how much you have on the line. So your buy-in probably is the relevant part. Where if you're like, oh, okay, you know, and th- this is where you can split the, the main group of us into different categories. There are probably folks... Uh, who would be really, really upset if their $50 buy-in evaporated. And that's totally fine. I was there with you, you know, that fresh out of college kind of thing. Like, every cent was critical. Right now, if I lost 50 bucks, it probably wouldn't be the end of the world to me. If I lost 100, I'd start to get pretty annoyed. If I lost 200, 250, yeah, now I'm getting mad. So I think we all have that, like, sliding scale of where you start to get pretty pissed off about it. And that's why, again, all decisions in fantasy, whether it's pickups, drops, league settings, whatever, should be based on the concept of return on investment. What is the ROI for this decision I'm making? And for this one, the ROI is always positive. First of all, eliminating the final week in a head-to-head league is the easiest damn decision on earth. Because there is almost no reason to extend things to the very end of the regular season for your head-to-head playoffs. To have any quantity of money or bragging rights dependent on whether or not some of your team plays on that last day, that's nuts. Plus, you know, on a Roto standpoint, if you don't have a moves limit, it's a little bit less obnoxious because you can drop seven guys on the same day. You can't do that in a head-to-head league. You probably have four, three, four, or five moves for an entire week in your head-to-head format. And you're going to have more guys than that you need to drop on the last day. I don't know what you do with the previous six. We talked about streaming that final week. You basically use all your moves on Tuesday and Saturday and then just pray that the guys are playing the last day. That's awful. There's no reason to do it. Your league winner will be decided like 80% of the time on which team just happens to get like 35 games played out of their week instead of 25. No, you can't do that. And then it was like, well, well, you can try to prepare for it. Yeah, good luck with that. Good luck picking up the, the reserve to the reserve of every team a week and a half earlier, and you'd lose in the semifinals. So then the question I think becomes, because I, I think we can pretty much all agree, like 99% of us can probably agree that playing until the very last day is idiotic. Your league becomes whatever, again, whatever the prize might be, it becomes dependent entirely on whether or not your guys actually play. That's going to be part of the situation every week during a head-to-head season. 
And I've heard a lot of people talk about this, like, well, could you end it two, three, four weeks early and completely wipe out the silly season? And the answer there is yeah. But at the same time, there are still going to be injuries. So what our job is in figuring out the right way to conclude a head-to-head season, and you guys know, overall, I, I find it, frankly, kind of annoying. I'd rather just play all Roto because it's it's more fair. And all the leagues I'm in, I have enough money on the line where I actually do care quite a bit about the the fairness of the winner. But I'm going to play in head-to-head leagues. I want to be able to talk about them on this podcast. I want to be able to be uh, someone you guys can turn to in those situations. So I'm never going to eliminate them, even though if I'm sort of begrudgingly trying to win all of them. I actually believe that with the play-in tournament and with the reorganization of the lottery balls, that by the last really, like, I don't know that you ever need to eliminate more than the final two weeks. Because we've seen a lot of teams pre-tank. You know which teams are going to tank going into the season. There are very few surprises on that front. Usually about one, maybe two surprise tank teams each year. But for the most part, you have a pretty good feel. Like, we knew the Rockets were going to tank. We knew the Thunder were going to tank. We knew the Magic were going to tank. We knew the Pistons were going to tank. The surprise, like, shut them down early teams this year, the Blazers and the Pacers. Those are the the surprise shut them down early. When Dame was hurt, the Blazers pulled the plug on this year. But you actually had a lot of time to sort of sort through that thing, and you ended up with Drew Eubanks, I guess. But regardless, like, you wouldn't have drafted Dame in the first round if we knew Portland was going to tank. And then for the Pacers, Miles Turner... Demonis Sabonis, these are guys that would have taken a pretty good hit. Miles Turner was already taking a hit on draft day, so you got something out of him. Brogdon is always hurt regardless of whether his team is tanking. So it was really Sabonis. He was the guy because he was counted upon to be pretty reliable. He was never going to hit his per-game ADP, but he's been pretty durable, plays in about 85-ish percent of his team's games most years, and then he got traded, and then he got shut down. So that's the one that that sort of kicked you in the nards on the Pacers' side. I don't think you would have drafted Sabonis end of second round if you knew his team was either going to trade him or shut him down. So Dame and Sabonis were the guys that kind of lost out in the surprise tank stuff. But Dame was shut down early, so that didn't have anything to do with the final two or three weeks of the season, which means that it was really just Demonis Sabonis that was your surprise, shut it down, three weeks left in the regular season kind of guy. That was it. Every other one was predictable. We knew everybody on the Magic was going to be in flux. We knew everybody on the Pistons was going to be in flux. Not that we were literally hanging on to a bunch of veterans on the Pistons anyway, but like Jeremy Grant was always going to be a problem. The Rockets, who did, Eric Gordon, nobody cares about Eric Gordon. Uh, Christian Wood was always going to be a little bit of a, of a mess. Shea on the Thunder was going to be a mess. We knew these things on draft night. So, sure, you could stop your league a month early, and then maybe drafting Shea Gilgis-Alexander becomes an okay decision again. But 
Do you really want to shave off 15 to 20% of the season for one player to get a bump on draft night? I don't think so. I am of the opinion, and this I don't know that this is actually a favor, but I think people are going to start to move towards it, that with the play-in tournament now, the fact that 10 teams go, so right off the bat, you've got, you know, the 9 and the 10 seeds in each conference are playoff teams, so they're not going to be shutting their guys down until the very end just for a rest day, you know, once the seeding is set. And then you're going to have the 11, maybe even the 12 seeds hanging on until the last couple of weeks. Now, in the Eastern Conference, you know, the Knicks fell back, the Wizards fell back, so they were able to pull the plug a little bit earlier. But look, we didn't think the Wizards were going to be good anyway this year. And then the Knicks... They still played their guys. Julius Randle only got shut down the last two weeks, I think. It wasn't even totally that. He came back to play three games. And the Western Conference, the Lakers were trying. The Kings, I mean, they ended up shutting their guys down once it became clear they weren't going to make it. But now that was, again, like two weeks left in the season. And it wasn't even the same guys they started the year with. So... You know, don't start with me on that one. They traded Tyrese Halliburton. He played to the end of the year on a tanking Pacers team. So the play-in tournament has expanded who's actually even going to try to get in. We can probably comfortably call it 11 teams from each conference are going to be actually trying. That's 22 out of 30. It doesn't leave that many teams going surprise tank. Out of the eight remaining, we already knew at least four of them were going to be going draft lotto balls this year. So I believe that going forward, thanks to the play-in tournament and the fact that the bottom three teams all have the same lotto ball odds, so you're going to get some pre-tanking out of those clubs that also maybe bring some of their guys back into the mix down the stretch. You know, Jalen Green, like if the Rockets were, they didn't need to tank. They could have sat Jalen Green down the stretch, but they only won 20 games. They didn't need to tank any more than they already did. Christian Wood just got tired. You know, two, three accidental wins for the Rockets. They still would have been in the bottom three. (laughs) That's how bad they were. Anyway, I keep getting caught up in it. The, The main point here is that I think now the NBA has taken decent measures to create more competition until later in the regular season. And as a result of that, you don't have to end your season as early. Because if you really dive into it, the number of full shutdowns really didn't pick up until the final two weeks. And the the, the true insanity of it all really didn't hit until the final week. I know this because a lot of the head-to-head leagues I'm in went until the second to last week, meaning it ended, and that's why we, you know, that's where we stopped doing our streaming guide was April 3rd was when a lot of leagues ended, and when I put a poll out on it, that's when a lot of you guys said your leagues ended as well. And that week, you had a couple guys, uh, Memphis rested a couple of players They didn't have a great schedule that week anyway, but they got locked into the two seed. So they rested a couple of guys because they weren't going to move out of the two bucket. Um, And that, I think, is when the Rockets began to pull the plug. 
middle of that week. So it was like 10 days left in the regular season when we started to get our first glimmers of silly season. And that's not always going to happen, by the way. It just so happened that in the Western Conference, the Grizzlies were like four games away from the Warriors behind them and eight games back of the Suns in front of them. So they had this weird luxury in the two-hole of resting some guys. If you look in the Eastern Conference, everybody's all bunched up. Everybody's moving until basically the very last minute. So most of the teams in the Eastern Conference didn't do anything all that different down the stretch other than, you know, guys resting on back-to-backs, which happens all year long anyway. We put an undue amount of worth on a, re- a back-to-back rest during the playoffs, but this is something teams just do now. Celtics rested some of their guys on back-to-backs. This year. Bucks rested guys on back-to-backs. All of these teams did this anyway, even when it wasn't the final three, four, five weeks of the regular season. That was happening all season long. So if you love fantasy basketball and you want fair, the fairest is probably to cut off the last two weeks. But if you want to go until the second to last week, I'm actually okay with it. So today's lesson is... Not just to not play the last week of the regular season, because that's super easy. But today's lesson is actually, don't cut your league off too early. You deprive yourself of great fantasy basketball. Your regular season is probably not fully indicative. Like, if you have a regular season that's only 16 weeks long, you know, one team getting hit with two long-term injuries, they're just done. That extra month actually is important for teams jockeying for position, and plus... You know, somebody's going to have a huge advantage in who they play against in a 12-team league if they only have, like, 16 matchups. Someone might have to play the top three teams twice, and some other team might not play them, might play them once. It's just too much. You need a long enough regular season to get a true winner, and really maybe more than anything, like, it's generally pretty obvious who the top one or two teams are after 16 weeks, but it's not that obvious who the three, four, five, six, seven, and eight teams are in your league, in your fantasy league. Give a couple extra weeks. You can do that now. Because even here, in the era of COVID and indefinite injury tags on everybody, we still had pretty normal playing time and scheduling until basically March 31st. And I think that holds year over year. I don't think this was an anomaly. I think this is... And we saw with the play-in. I think this is the start of how it's going to look. So let's figure out who the tanking teams are going into draft day. Understand that they're going to be the ones who shut people down three, four weeks early. And everybody else, probably going to give it until about the last 10 days. And that is lesson number two. You don't need to cut off more than the last two weeks of your regular season. Going farther than that right now doesn't change much. You might feel better, but it's more performative now that the NBA has changed the rules. It used to be true. By the way, I want to make this very clear. Before the play-in tournament and before the lotto ball rearrangement, you needed to cut off like the last five weeks because craziness happened. Teams started going so hard on tank to get to that bottom spot. Even the worst teams were trying to out-tank one another. Not as much anymore. And the 10 seed... The 11, the 12 seed, those teams went into tank a month and a half early. Because they ah, we're done. We're not getting to the 8 seed. Now all they got to do is get to the 10. 
NBA's made good changes, and it's allowed us to play fantasy basketball deeper into the season in head-to-head leagues, so enjoy it. And that is lesson number two here on Fantasy NBA Today. Have a marvelous Tuesday, everybody. Enjoy the first play-in games. Postseason begins in the association. I am Dan Vespers at Dan Vespers on Twitter. This, is, of course, is a sports ethos presentation. Hey, come on, stick with us through the offseason. You know you want to. What the hell else are you going to do? You're going to probably watch baseball and playoff basketball. But we're going to win some bets, too. That's a good enough reason, isn't it? In it? Half an hour shows. That's our target these days. We did it again. Hooray. All right. Talk to you guys tomorrow. So long.